Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. I gotta tell you folks, it definitely helps to always, always, always double check to make sure you are recording uh, (laughs) when you're doing anything related to a podcast and uh, it, I, I didn't. The, I recorded both the intro and the uh, outro for this, uh, and I seemingly forgot to uh, to hit that magical record button. But my wife did give me some words of encouragement. And it was, it'll be even better this time. And you know what? Damn it all! I'm gonna say yes. It is gonna be even better because you are joining here on the Brian Nichols Show for another fun-filled episode. And yes, I am your humble host, Brian Nichols, and you are here today to hear from one of our phenomenal libertarian presidential candidates, and that is one Mister Sam Robb. Now, I had the utmost pleasure of getting getting to uh, kind of meet Sam. I mean, you really can't meet many people right now in the middle of a, of a freaking pandemic. So I met him via our friend Kevin Warmhold was hosting a debate over on his podcast, The Exchange. And I was a co-moderator and I had the uh, the utmost pleasure of being able to moderate the debate with Kevin uh, between five phenomenal candidates. Uh, yes, as I mentioned, Sam Robb, uh, we had candidates, Ken Armstrong, uh, just dropped out Mark Whitney, who will actually be joining us on the Brian Nichols Show early next week, uh, and then also Adam Kokesh and Dan Taxation is Theft Berman, who also is joining us here on the Brian Nichols Show early next week. So you guys are going to be in store for a lot of these candidates joining us on the Brian Nichols Show, and I promise, yes, you are hearing us today on May 1st, and that means you've already heard the, 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 the yes, the rumors are true, Justin Amash, he is running for, uh, for president, and he he is seeking the Libertarian Party nomination. Now, Sam's going to get his due here in this episode, uh, but I will quickly comment on, on Amash. Um, I have been waiting for this for quite a while. Um, you know, I had some uh, some sparrows who are out there, you know, kind of uh, give me a little uh, little insight of what was going on behind the scenes. Um, so I kind of had a sneaky suspicion this was going to happen. Um, and I got to tell you, I am elated that it did happen. Um, I'm not picking one candidate over another right now. I'm not yet to endorse a candidate. Uh, but I will say that Justin Amash does bring... A, an aura to the, the race that was not there beforehand. And I mean, let's be real, folks. How many times did Donald Trump tweet about Gary Johnson? Like, what, ever? Did he ever tweet about Gary? I don't think he did. He tweeted about Justin literally on the day that Justin announced. So that's a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is because now we're getting a candidate that's our candidate on the national stage. And it's kind of like that Barbara Streisand effect, you know, bringing attention to something by saying, don't bring attention to it. And for those of you who don't know Barbara Streisand, there's a whole issue back, I think it was in the early 2000s with her house where there was an aerial photographer who was basically taking pictures of her house. She sued the photographer to say he couldn't publish those photographs. Nobody would have known that that was her house would be, like if he had published it because nobody was going to listen to this no-name photographer, but her putting it into the, the press, everybody started to look at the house. She lost her privacy, yada, yada, yada. Same thing is true. It's happening here. Trump bringing up Justin's name to the press, um, to the, the American public through Twitter and such, I, I do think it's going to give us a, a chance to reach more people than we otherwise would have reached, get more name recognition out there, and hopefully um, it will give us a chance to actually talk to people about the issues. Uh, now, 
With that being said, let's assume that Justin doesn't get the uh, the nomination for the Libertarian uh, nomination, which it's been going on for a while, and Sam's been a part of this uh, nomination process for a while. Um, so Sam is joining the show today to really discuss um, why it was that he felt that he had uh, the, the the moment right now to to join the Libertarian Party um, as the uh, the leader and as the the face for the party going to the 2020 presidential election. So uh, Sam joins the show obviously to discuss that, but also uh, kind of dig into his, his past, what kind of brought him to the Liberty Movement, gives you a chance to get to know him as a person, um, but also kind of his vision for the future and uh, where we, we as libertarians have a chance to to really um, you know, change the national conversation and uh, do a really good uh, good act of libertarian service to the, the country right now. And that is talking about the values of liberty and showing how it can actually positively impact people in their own lives. And I think right now with the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, this is a, a golden opportunity if there ever was one. So without further ado, on to the show, Sam Robb here on The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you for joining. And I had the absolute pleasure of uh, first getting to, uh, to I guess, kind of meet you, pseudo meet you, internet meet you, because we're all in a pandemic right now. And that's <laughs> that's the only way it seems that I can actually meet you. Uh, and that was when I was uh, joining Kevin Warmhold over at The Exchange, uh, where we had a phenomenal debate. And it was a, a five- a five-person, six-person debate um, for you libertarian candidates. It was five, right? It was you, um, Adam Kokesh, so, yeah. yeah, Daniel Taxation is Theft Berman, uh, Mark Whitney, and then, yes, Ken Armstrong. Um, and it was an absolute blast, not only getting to uh, to hear all the other candidates have conversations, but also specifically to, uh, to, to get to hear you talk about some stuff. Because, uh, candidly, Rob, and I'm going to be very honest, I had not heard of you up until that debate. And I, I really wanted to take a chance after hearing your, your responses on the debate to interview you personally and get to ask you a little bit more uh, in terms of... Of kind of what brought you to be, uh, you know, a very successful person in the private sector saying, I'm going to run for president as a libertarian in, you know, the, the, the third, the largest third party in the United States. But let's be real, kind of a party that has been taken uh, by the other two major parties as like a little kid party. So you're, you're looking at the libertarian party and saying, hey, we have a great opportunity now in 2020. And you have taken that as a means to say, you know what, I think I could be the best person going forward to lead the party. So I wanted to make sure I got the chance to get to know who you are, number one, but also kind of dig more into what brought you to, uh, to being the face, trying to be rather the face of the party um, going forward into the uh, November election. But let's start here. Let's, uh, for the folks here at the Brian Nichols Show audience who are not familiar with your campaign as I wasn't, Let's uh, kind of do a quick introduction as to, um, number one, who you are, but number two, how you got your uh, your pathway started here into the liberty movement and ultimately where you are today running for uh, president as a libertarian. Okay. Well, uh, Brian, I am uh, just some guy from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm a <laughs> software developer. I've spent the last 20 years uh, uh, working for startup companies as a startup developer. Um, I got my start in libertarianism. Uh, actually, it goes way back uh, when I was a teenager uh, reading Robert Heinlein, uh, reading F. Paul Wollstone, um, a bunch of libertarian authors. And it's really, I feel kind of embarrassed to, to say this, but I always understood that libertarianism was a philosophy. And I did not realize for years that there was a libertarian party. Um, it took me a while. And by that point, I had uh, uh, gone off to college uh, on a Navy RTC scholarship. And uh, although I grew up in a democratic area, uh, when you go to college on an RTC scholarship, you find out very quickly that there are some people who uh, are encouraging of you and some people who are not. So uh, I found myself registered as a Republican and uh, hanging out with hanging out with the Republicans and the Republican Party. And uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners would would understand that there's there's an attraction there because they they talk a good game. I think mm-hmm. you can say the same thing about about the Democrats as well. Uh, you know, just in in different areas. 
whether yeah, if you are someone who thinks, hey, you know what, uh, I'm for individual rights, I'm for individual responsibility, I'm for smaller government, I'm for less taxes. Well, that's a Republican side. I'm for less war. I'm for for more social consciousness. You know, I'm I'm for uh, improved immigration. I'm a, you know, that's a Democrat thing. And then you you get involved and you spend a couple of years uh, voting and, and watching politics and getting interested in that. And you realize that although they talk a great game, they never go anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. So I found myself kind of gravitating towards I always describe myself as a conservative with libertarian tendencies. And uh, now I guess I'm a, a socially conservative libertarian, uh, being a Christian, being, being a, uh, a preacher. Uh, and I'm looking at the country and saying, you know what, I'm just not willing to go down the route that we're going. We've got uh, the Democrats really going full bore, full bore socialist at this point. We've got uh, the Republicans basically two generations behind them. And if you don't think that's true, look at who the president is right now. As a Republican, uh, Donald Trump was a basically a big business Democrat back in the 80s yep. when, uh, when I first started uh, getting involved in politics. So you know, I'm looking at the, the landscape and saying, yeah, we're headed, headed for some rough territory. It's time to turn the car around. It's time to turn the ship around and uh, head in a different direction. And uh, I think we need voices saying that. We definitely need voices saying that because, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with regards to looking at the Republicans and Democrats. And I would say, you know, as someone who I came from more of the right and you look at um, the, the Republicans and Democrats, especially the Republicans, as you know, when I was growing up hearing, you know, the the, the, Marty, the, the party of the Tea Party. Right. Then they're they're promoting yeah. this this free market ideology and they're promoting this this limited government personal responsibility mindset. And I'm thinking like, yeah, that's that's 100 percent what I'm agreeing with. And then you, you start to see really who they are. And it's like, yeah, they'll, they'll support those ideas when it went sexy. And that's why people like Rand Paul and, and Thomas Massey and Justin Amash and Mike Lee, they all got into, into office under this Tea Party way back in, in the early two, 2010s. And and now you see like that. Yeah, that was what the Republican Party said that they stood for. But now now when rubber meets the road and they're actually in governance, you, you really get to see what the, it actually is behind the scenes, like what they actually believe, or in many cases, what they, what they don't believe, um, or, or what they'll tell their, their voting constituencies that they believe. And I think part of the, the struggle that we have as libertarians, when, especially when it comes to electoral politics, is that we're fighting against a, a public who really, they don't have any knowledge of electoral history. And it really doesn't seem that they care. Um, you know, you just mentioned a few, you know, what, 30, 40 years ago or so when Trump was a businessman. I mean, yeah, he was a big business Democrat. And I don't know how it is that the Republican Party can have such a look at that and just be so okay with it. It's just an understanding of like, yeah, it is whatever it is. Um, But they don't really look into, you know, why was Trump a big business Democrat? You know, why why was it that he was supporting certain candidates to to give him certain political favors in the city? And, and, And it really is an institutionalized problem that when we start to dig deeper into, you know, why is it that you'd want to look at a libertarian candidate versus a Republican or Democratic candidate? It's because you you have to first acknowledge, you know, when you're a part of those those two major parties that yeah maybe you were wrong and it requires you to admit that and i think that's partly some of the problems we have trying to win over some of those more um shall we say fervent supporters of the left and the right um is that they they don't want to acknowledge that they were wrong and and it would be too too much of kind of like a egg in the face moment for them so they continue to vote for what we yes have 
seen as these lesser of two evils. And I mean, I said back, uh, you know, when I first started the show that 2016 was the greatest opportunity for libertarian candidates because we were run, we had a situation where you had the quite literally the worst candidate ever running for president, and then the, the second worst <laughs> candidate running for president. And I was like, that's we're never going to get an opportunity like that. And then 2020 said, hold on, wait up, you're going to get the same guy yes. running for re-election, and you're going to get an old senile former vice president who has been credibly accused of sexual assault on multiple occasions, and 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 like that's. Now who we have to face, and I would say like, okay, it's worst election part two. And yes, the libertarians. <laughs> Hold my beer, yes. Yeah, and like now libertarians <laughs> do have, a, a, again, a real chance to, to be a, a real alternative. And I think that's why a lot of libertarians are now looking for someone that, that could represent the party, both in terms of really one, reflecting the ideas of the, the libertarian party, but also what it means to be actually be a libertarian. But number two, when you're on a national stage to have some type of, of credibility and, and really some comforting to the, the voting electorate to say like, listen, you can vote for me and trust that I'm not going to be some whack job. Like I, I'm, I'm a you know person who's ingrained in society. I'm, you know, respected in my community. I mean, in your case, Sam, you're, you're uh, part of your church and you're, you're, you know, you, as you said, more of a socially conservative lifestyle, which is, you know, honestly in, in, when you go outside the big cities, that's what people are looking for is that social conservatism. So when, and, and I'm saying that because it's not a matter of how we're promoting that as a principle, but rather you being able to live your own life. And again, that gives that sense of credibility that, you know, we're not this, you know, this uh, libertine party out there who just, you know, goes and, and smokes yeah. pot and, and, you know, plays rock and roll, which has been the caricature that we've been promoted as for the past 40 years. But right now we're seeing people like Justin Amash or, um, you know, there was Lincoln Chafee who was running for uh, for LP nomination to be president as well, who just recently uh, dropped out, who are, you know, in Justin's case, sitting uh, members of Congress, but former governors, senators, uh, members of Congress and so forth. And I think there's a, a big part of the Libertarian Party who is looking for somebody with that kind of credibility. So to to take all that and then turn this into a question for you is... Obviously, you're you're not coming into this election as a former you know Republican or a former Democratic elected official, um, but rather somebody who is uh, you know more established in the private sector. So, what would be more of your argument to the Libertarian delegates as we go forward into the convention? Uh, in really, it's amazing a month or so um, to that you'd be an, a, a truly um, alternative voice to Trump versus Biden, but a credible voice that would win over um, the hearts and minds of people beyond the libertarian echo chambers of, uh, of the social media infrastructure we find ourselves in. It's true. Um, well, I, I think one of the interesting things there is uh, you talked about the, the far left and the far right, basically the, the, the loudest voices. And uh, when you get down to it, when you start looking at the middle, when you start looking at the the conservative Democrats, when you start looking at the more socially liberal Republicans, when you look at, at independents that kind of kind of you know bounce back and forth between those two two extremes, two sides, um, you find a lot of people that are in agreement. Nobody likes dealing with the government, and when you are an individual, when you when you're a, a small businessman, when you're just you know, some guy trying to make a living and, and support your family, uh, you find out very quickly, you know, you don't like dealing with the DMV. You don't like dealing with taxes. Uh, it's taxi, tax season right now. They put it, they put it off, thankfully. But, uh, you know, it's something that nobody ever goes, oh, yay, I get to get up and, and go work on my taxes. I get to go visit my tax lawyer. I get to go. You know, it, it's never fun. It just, it just isn't. Nothing that we ever do with government is fun. But somehow we see it as necessary. Um, ultimately. What we need to what we need to recognize is that that people have some needs, they have some concerns, they have some worries, and those are only getting worse because 
the two fossil parties aren't addressing those. Mm. What they're doing is saying, and instead of saying, hey, yes, we see that you have some problems and here's how we how we would like to, to address those problems. Here's, like, here's how we would like you to help yourself and help your community. They're saying, well, here's what you need to do. You need to vote for me because that other candidate over there is absolutely war. He's going to come in. He's going to eat babies on national TV and there's nothing you can do about it. Yep. And, uh, you know, life's going and that. And that's all you hear anymore these days. There's nobody voting for candidates. You're all always voting against the other guy. You can't let the other guy win. And right now in, in, in this environment, you, you mentioned it in 2020, we've got two absolutely horrible candidates from the Democrats and the, the Republicans. And uh, I've heard over and over and over again from people that I've talked to that, that are you know, conservative Democrats, that are you know, socially liberal Republicans, that are independents who, who really don't follow politics that much. Uh, you know, I'll explain to them. I'll say, hey, I'm running for president. This is, this is where I am. This is what I believe. This is, these are the steps that we need to start taking in order to get our house in order and, and start moving back towards a smaller government. And what I hear from them is, you're a libertarian, right? How is it that you, that I've heard forever, you know, the libertarians are complete nutjobs. How is it that you are the one that seems to be making sense all of a sudden? Yep. And it's it's because we do. Compared to what we have out there right now, we do. It's just a matter of us getting that message out and connecting with people. Mm -hmm. And that means going to where they are, going to... Not, not talking, I'm not talking physically, obviously, we can't do that. Thank you, government, for making it impossible to go shake hands and kiss babies. But we can do that uh, intellectually, we can't do that emotionally. We can get out and connect with people. I'll tell you something right now. Joe Biden, I don't care how much he wants to dress up and, and look folksy and, and talk about things. He is not dealing with the coronavirus lockdown the same way that you and I are. No. He is, he is not. Uh, he's probably never in his life had to worry about paying bills. He's probably never in his life had to, had to worry about whether or not the government was going to approve uh, a license for him to rebuild his house, which, you know, my wife and I actually did. We had a house fire. We had to get uh, basically, you know, we were praying at one point that we would get the good inspector to come out and uh, take a look at things because we were told that there was one guy who would deny everything just because he hated work. How wild. Um, Jeez. Yeah. There, there's, you look at any of the libertarian candidates. To be honest with you, and with with a couple of very couple minor exceptions, we all have had to live the life that your average American has has had to. We've worried about educating our kids. We've worried about you know getting a, getting into a neighborhood with good schools. We've worried about crime. We've wor we've worried about uh, you know income and and taxes and how we're going to make ends meet. And we understand and we can connect with people the way that politicians can't. And I think what we need to do and what we need as as a libertarian as the libertarian party are candidates that can get out there and say, you know what, I understand where you are because I've been there. And let me show you why liberty is the solution and government isn't mm -hmm. because people understand government sucks and freedom is. Yes. Well, and 
when you you just hit the nail on the head again when you're talking about what what people see when they see politicians, right? They just see these people sitting on on these pedestals, and and they do try to reflect this this empathetic approach to to relating to the average person, and it, it does feel so hollow. It just feels so so fake. I mean, Elizabeth Warren drinking her beer, it's like okay, like we we get it. You you can drink a beer like an average person, <laughs> and, and it's like there's there's nothing about that though that feels genuine. It feels smarmy. It's like it's like when Hillary Clinton, she was I forget the the show she was on, but it was a couple of African American hosts, and she like they asked her what she always carries in her purse and she's like I always carry some hot sauce so like she she puts on this like this phony southern-ish accent and then she like basically goes to a, a stereotypical trope to like try to reflect to the people she's talking to and it's just like it feels so just gross and and you you if you're an average person seeing that happen you're like oh my god this is it's cringeworthy like it's like watching scott's tots over and over again on the office and and it's it's one of those moments where you just you know that they're so full of crap and everybody else knows it too but nobody's really like just gonna be the one to go forward and say it and partly because you're afraid to right because you have all these other politicians out there who they're like oh my gosh look at look at elizabeth you know being so genuine or look at hillary being so genuine um you know oh good for them showing what it's really like but now here we are in 2020s we're going through this pandemic and and now it's like oh all not only just these politicians but these these hollywood elites and these you know these people we see on late night television now they're basically being forced to do what we do you know when we're doing our podcasts at home or in our, our homemade studios yeah. and, and so forth and and they're having to try to like relate to people on this like very normal basis if i can use that word very loosely but like you know how we would normally interact we don't have studio mm-hmm. audiences sitting in front of us we don't have you know dozens and dozens of producers writing our, our content for us like this is this is us this is organic and for them to try to like say like oh look at me i'm just like you and then to try to do what they have been conditioned and, and trained to do over the past you know how many years in hollywood and they're trying to do that on that level that is like a normal person, and it does come across so fake. I mean, was it Madonna sitting in her bathtub with rose petals around her? And like, we're all in this together. <laughs> it's like, yes, Madonna, I'm, I'm definitely believing that I am. I'm in the same position as you in your your bathtub with champagne and caviar. Like, I, I'm sorry, maybe we are in a little different of a position. And to your point, Sam, we do have a chance right now to have somebody in in the role as a libertarian presidential candidate who can relate to people on that very human to human basis and i mean let's be honest that's why people like bernie sanders or uh ron paul or heck let's even take some of the more fringe characters out there i mean let's look at vermin supreme i think vermin's a great guy at at his heart but like the character he plays people relate to it because it is sarcastic you look at um jimmy mcmillan back up in new york state from my home state he ran for uh for governor on the uh, the rent is too damn high party and like it's (laughs) it sounds so like okay ha 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 rent is too damn high but do you know how many people are like goddamn right it's too, too damn high like i i'm spending over a third of my monthly you know in, uh, income on rent and people are like they they were upset and that that kind of being a normal person it does yeah. sell to people and i think we do have a really good chance but again i think it does come with showing that yes we are real people but we're also serious in our approach to things mm-hmm. we're, we're not you know we're not the caricature and we're not playing a caricature and again i and i'm not trying to you know crap on vermin supreme but like i don't think now is the time for a caricature we need people yes who can relate to your average voter but 
they need to still have a, an aura of seriousness and credibility about them. So I, I think Vermin hits like the, the first part of relating to people, but maybe not so much on the seriousness. And I've been looking for that candidate who is both, you know, the, the credible real person, but also does have that sense of seriousness. So to, to that, Sam, how would you, you know, say as you're looking at yourself versus your other libertarian candidates? And I mean, we have a, a variety of candidates from, you know, entrepreneurs to former elected officials to, uh, you know, doctors to, um, you know, go through people uh, who, you know, economics. I mean, there's there's so many people out there in the libertarian party, honestly, who are running. Um, that I think I'd you'd be more inclined to say people who are not running. And, um, you know, you have a you have a good chance, though, right now to differentiate yourself amongst the other libertarian candidates. And you've done so on, on various debates. But, you know, unencumbered in your own words now, why why would you say to the delegates or just to um, liberty voters out there in general that you should be the, the best face for the libertarian party going towards uh, November? And that, actually, that's interesting because what you're what you're talking about there is something that I've mentioned before is uh, we do have a wonderful crop of candidates, uh, a great group of, of men and women who are running right now. And uh, however this shakes out, whoever the candidate is, we're started very early on supporting each other, helping each other. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, uh, happened very early on uh, was after the OLEN debate, there was a, essentially a group chat that was set up to help coordinate that. That is still going. So you've got uh, candidates and their, their uh, campaign managers still talking occasionally and, and communicating that way. Uh, there are times when I've let people know about things that I've encountered, like, oh, hey, this is here's here's how you can get into this debate. Or uh, I've gotten uh, email and, and contact from other candidates about, hey, this is this is how uh, you can uh, work around. Try a bunch of us tried to work around the uh, restrictions in New York for getting on the primary ballot. Uh, so there is a bunch of information sharing and a bunch of cooperation going on behind the scenes that I, I dare to say that you would absolutely not see in either the Republican or the Democrat race. Um, so we are a group of people that are working together. We all have the same goal. We have different ideas about how we want to get there. Uh, we have different ideas about the road we should take, but ultimately uh, if we end up with a libertarian president, you're going to have a libertarian president surrounded by libertarian advisors, all with the same ideas in mind, the same goals in mind. And that's incre increasing liberty and decreasing the size of government. Mm -hmm. For me, uh, what that means is we are not so much picking a team. We've already picked the team. We already have the, the group of people that we're going to have go out there and go full war and try and campaign and try and try and make the case for liberty to the American people. What we're trying to pick is who's going to be the best face, who's going to be the one to get up and, and communicate with people. And uh, among all the all the candidates, uh, I think I've got a really unique proposition. Uh, I know Vermin likes to say that as well, and he's got a very unique proposition as well. Uh, Dan Berman, uh, also very, a very good communicator myself. I am, uh, trained as a, a pastor. Uh, I have gone through uh, the last couple of years, a lot of, a lot of experience with speaking to people one-on-one -on -one and speaking to people in groups, uh, either planned or extemporaneously. Um, and I'll tell you something, if you've never gone into a situation with, uh, 20 or so. Uh, recovering addicts at a veteran center to talk to them about 
uh, you know, something out of the Bible and gotten immediately derailed and spent the next hour talking about politics, uh, you, you're not really ready to yeah. <laughs> hit the campaign field, I don't think. Um, I've learned to think on my feet. I've learned to think about how to communicate complex ideas in simple ways uh, and complex truths in simple ways to people who need to receive that. Um, so really, I'm ready at this point, I think, to take what I have learned as a pastor, as a preacher, excuse me, and uh, and take that and use that to go out to the American people and preach liberty, to oh, communicate yeah. to them that this is what you this is what you need. You didn't even know that you needed it, but you knew that there was something missing. And I'm here to tell you what it is. And I think any of the any of the candidates will will do that in one way, shape or form or another. Um, I think that as someone who really wants to connect with people and has spent his life trying to connect with people, uh, I, I think I make sense as a face for the party, you know, with obviously backed by a tremendous, uh, tremendous stable of wonderful people with uh, with tremendous intellect and great, great ideas. Well, and the, the main thing I think that we, we have to do is, is like you said, to, to be teachers. And I, it's, this has actually been one of the, um, the recurring themes on my show the past, you know, two months or so is especially during this time of COVID, um, with, with the, the pandemic breaking out across the United States is that right now, I think we have not only, um, the opportunity, but the responsibility to, to talk to people and to, to educate and show, listen, you know, here is, you know, what the, the status quo was. Here is how a certain situation got to where it, it started out and, and ultimately where it, it had a, a breaking point. You know, talk about the FDA and CDC failures in allowing testing. Talk about, um, you know, the the you know, the restrictions on certain, um, you know, drug uh, drug tests and, and such and the restrictions on telemedicine. Talk about those things to people and educate and show that those could have been avoided if they had adopted a, a really an approach towards liberty in terms of, you know, relying on the free markets, relying on competition to drive down prices and, and inspire innovation and I mean, that's something that I think people are looking for right now is an answer because for a lot of people, their entire worldviews have been absolutely shattered because they're looking at how, you know, whether it's their opposing uh, party has responded or their own party has responded and, and they're you know, currently facing this identity crisis because it's like all of the, 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 the fake, uh, holograms and put around them for all these years to keep them safe and secure are now all being you know, removed one by one. And they're starting to see the world for what it really is. And, you know, when, when you have a situation where you're seeing regulations being pulled left and right from government, because it gets in the way of, of innovation during a pandemic, it's like, well, why was that there in the first place? And doesn't that start asking Absolutely. questions? And, and I know for a fact, it's, it's, it's starting to have people ask questions because I'm seeing people all across social media, you know, asking these questions themselves, you know, in, in just, it looks like a snarky tweet, but you're like, why, why did the CDC not allow, you know, masks to be produced in mass? Oh, because there's, you know, there's, there's regulations in place that prohibit that because of certain testing standards. Like, okay, like yeah. maybe, maybe we should look into that. Um, and, and, and like, <laughs> like, Hey, maybe that's, and now they're telling you, yeah, just take a bra and, and right? cut it in half and use that. Yeah. And, and like that, that's the part And like right now people are starting to not trust these institutions. I mean, the fact that we were told a, a month earlier that masks don't work to now they are saying to use a, a, a you know, a bra, anything to cover your face. Like that's, that's, you know, shocking, but it also, it speaks to really how full of it, honestly, a lot of the people in the, the, you know, these regulatory agencies are because I mean, who do they really respond to? They, they respond to yeah. more bureaucrats and those bureaucrats, the only thing they really have to, mm -hmm. you know, the only thing that they really have 
in, in what they're doing is to enable a status quo. And as long as you keep on enabling that status quo and heck, I'm going to go more towards my sales mind now. Like that's one of my biggest competitions in sales is, is trying to get past the status quo because the, the, you know, the, the real, the real stopper of innovation is accepting status quo as, you know, the, the norm. And if you, if you stop trying to innovate, exactly. If you stop trying to grow or, you know, if you stop trying to innovate and what inspires the innovation is honestly a a sense of incentive, it's going to be that competition structure. And we see that, you know, in, in my, my industry in telecom, and you see it in your, your day uh, industry in, in software development, you know, we, we are constantly always trying to, you know, go above and beyond and try to come up with a new thing because the new thing is going to sell. And when that new thing sells, it's going to add a value to whoever it is that, that purchased it. So it is raising all boats a- across the board. And I think right now we have an, an ample opportunity to show that to people as it pertains to how we would respond to COVID-19. I think, you know, the libertarian president ha- or the presidential, yeah, libertarian president, let's fingers crossed, uh, but the libertarian presidential <laughs> nominee has a unique opportunity to to speak to the, the libertarian answer to COVID-19. So as we start to wrap up the show here, Sam, obviously this will be one of the main topics that's going to be you know on the, the, the minds of every American as we go towards the November election. And as, as a libertarian candidate, you I think we, we have a chance, again, to speak to what that libertarian solution would be. So what would be your, your, your speak, uh, speech to the American people? Day one, you know, we're on stage uh, for, for the debate against Trump versus Biden. And the question is asked, COVID-19, what is a libertarian response? You say. Libertarian response to COVID-19 would be to start by making sure that these regulations that we've rolled back that impeded our, our reaction to it, that these regulations that that were in place that prevented hospital workers from migrating across state lines because of requirements for certification, that were waived in order to allow people to come back to work. These rules, these regulations, these obstacles need to be put to rest. They need to be put it back in the box and buried and left to rot because they are what killed people this time around. Next time we have a virus come through, and we will, in my lifetime, I'd, I'd say probably there's been at least 10, 10 or 12 different viruses at one point that I went back and looked at and said, hey, yeah, it seems like every two or three years we have something like this. Mm-hmm. So this is going to happen again. And when that does, we need to make sure that the people of this country are ready to deal with it in a way that makes sense. We can't shut down the country every three years because there's a new cold virus. Even if it is novel, even if it is something that that we don't have antibodies for, even if it is going to cause problems, we cannot kill people through poverty, through economic destruction. We can we cannot deal with a twenty percent uh, unemployment rate every three years, you know, and the 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 suicides and the depression and the the family problems that that's going to generate. That will kill us even even more certainly than any sort of virus could. So what we need to do is make sure that the American people as as a people are equipped to do what is right and what is necessary for them and their families and their communities. That means getting the federal government out of the business of regulating masks, out of the business of you know, saying, oh, you're only allowed to stockpile so many respirators or have so many, so many uh, hospitals in your neighborhood. That's getting the government out of the business of saying, well, you know what? You forgot to take your two hours of continuing education last year. So your license has lapsed and you're no longer allowed to be a nurse. That means allowing individuals and allowing 
uh, society and allowing the states and the, and even local, you know, the uh, the uh, county governments to make the decisions about how they're going to react to something. What's right for New York is not, and what's right for New York City is not right for upstate New York. What's right for upstate New York is not right for Iowa. What's right for Iowa is not right for Dallas. We need to be able to say these these. Uh, decisions have to be pushed down as far as we can to the local level. And what I've seen actually in the last uh, last couple of months talking to people about COVID-19 is that they are generally happy with the way their local governments are dealing with things mm -hmm. because their local governments know what the situation is. They understand how things work in their in their you know, municipalities in their in their areas and they're able to say things like you know uh, even though even though there's a stay-at-home order we're keeping the the parks open we're, we're closing the play areas but we're keeping the parks open so that people can get out and they that's one of the things that uh our our local allegheny county health authority uh said very early on and uh, they've stuck with, and I appreciate it tremendously. It's taken a huge amount of pressure off of people because you can you can say, okay, you know what, I'm I'm avoiding getting too close to people, but I can still get out. I can still feel you know live my life. Um, other places, you you're going to require different sorts of different sorts of restrictions. We should allow the in the local governments to make those choices. The state governments should help coordinate. The federal government should help disseminate information and, and coordinate response. But the key information there is to communicate and to coordinate, not to command. When we see the, the federal government try and, try and command, this is how we will deal with things, that's when you end up with things like contaminated uh, test kits being issued by the CDC. That's when you end up with, with things like, oh, we're, we're not able to use uh, we're not able to use these masks because they expired last week. We're no, that's when you end up with things like, yes, we're not going to allow you to use this this uh, blood serum test, even though it's being manufactured here in the United States and shipped to every other country in the world dealing, dealing with corona. We're going to say that, that we need two years of testing before that's allowed to be used here. When you get rid of the command and you focus on coordination and, and communication, that's when you see that people will appreciate what the federal government has been doing. That's when you see what pe people appreciate what state governments have been doing. And then even at the even at the local level, hey, you're giving me the information that I need in order to make the right decision in my community and for my family. Thank you. That's what I need. What I don't need is you telling me I'm not essential. Mm -hmm. What I don't need is you telling me that my life doesn't matter one way or the other either stay stay home your job doesn't matter or hey you come in you come into work because we need you to, we need you to continue working even if you don't want to because you're an essential worker you get to get sick so that other people can stay at home that we are we are dividing the country along those lines and that is sick and that is wrong every everybody's job is essential to them everybody's family is essential to them everybody's life is essential to them the government has no right to tell you you can't work you must work you can't go you can't go here you must go there all of that is coming uh, i think coming to a head right now and people are starting to realize that the further away government is the more important it is to keep them on a short leash and to keep control away from them because they make the wrong decisions for you. Sam, Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure. Where can folks go ahead and follow you over on social media so they can stay up to date with all the happenings of the Sam Rob 2020 campaign? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you can find me on uh, on the web at samrob2020.com. Uh, you can find me on, on Twitter as 2020SamRob and on Facebook as SamRob2020. Don't ask me why those two are, two are uh, flipped around. That's just <laughs> the way it is. Um, Twitter didn't like tw- SamRob2020 for some reason. So uh, you can follow me on, on, on Twitter, on Facebook. On I've got a YouTube channel. You can find that on the website. You can find links to uh, my Instagram page on the website. Uh, keep an eye on the Facebook page in particular. That's where... You're going to see a lot of announcements of things like things like this interview, uh, like the debates that are going on. I'm going to be uh, with uh, uh, the Missouri Libertarian Party. They're starting a round of debates this evening. I'll be part of the first round uh, with four other candidates. So that's going to be about uh, five o'clock Eastern, I believe, uh, six o'clock Central. So just keep an eye, keep an eye out. Uh, and I would urge you, if you are interested in my campaign, to check out the other libertarian candidates as well. Because like I said, this is not a solo effort. We're trying to pick who's going to be the face of the party, but we're all going to be working together on the, uh, behind whoever it is that gets selected by the delegates. Mm. So get a, get a feeling for what we all stand for, yes. because I guarantee you, if you look at Sam Robb and you say, eh, I'm not too thrilled by him, you, it might be that, that uh, some, someone like Adam Kokesh, might be someone like uh, Ken Armstrong, might be someone like Judge Jim Gray that, or Jacob Hornberger that jumps off the page and makes you go, you know what? Yeah, this is this is someone that I can I can support and I can work with. Support them, work with them, and when it comes down to it, if it if they're not the candidate, continue to support them or work with them as they support support the candidate. All right. Well, that being said, Sam Rob, thank you for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Uh, best of luck as you go forward towards the uh, the nomination process, and uh, fingers crossed that will still be taking place in Austin as we get towards the end of May. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, so that's going to wrap up my conversation with Sam Robb, Libertarian presidential candidate, and I got to tell you, it was a, it was a blast. I mean, honestly, I love, I don't know if you guys can tell this, I love getting to, uh, to number one, uh, get to know who these people are. Not only people running for office, but just, you know, leaders and, and shakers in the movement and stuff, just to kind of figure out how, how people got to where they are. Um, and I think that's really an important um, aspect of everybody's liberty journey is sharing their liberty journey because... Everybody joins the liberty movement in such a unique way, and everybody has a unique part to play in said movement. So it was a great chance to, uh, to kind of learn how Sam got to uh, to where he is in the libertarian movement, but also kind of where he sees the libertarian movement moving uh, going forward. So, uh, guys, if you if you enjoyed the episode, and if you find that you uh, maybe Sam is the guy that's going to be the uh, the candidate for you going forward to uh, to the the convention, which is supposed to be um, this month, uh, which. I, I, we'll see. Uh, good luck, guys. If you, if we can get the convention in Austin, Texas at the end of May, um, you know, that, that'll be impressive. Um, so if we can do that, thumbs up. If not, I'm, I mean, good luck if we can do a Zoom call. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, but anyway, if, if folks, if you were, um, if you're right now trying to play catch up, right, and you're trying to get to learn more about these libertarian, uh, presidential candidates, well, number one, you have a treasure trove of past episodes here in the Brian Nichols show. Um, starting out with candidates all the way back. Actually, the first libertarian presidential candidate I had on my show, um, it was back in 2018 and it was Adam Kokesh. Um, so Adam joined the show. I've had Adam, I've had Justin Amash on the show, um, which I will share his episode, um, episode 72 from June of last year. So if you want to get to know who Justin is, uh, and I've had 
pretty much every other libertarian candidate you can think of, um, from Jacob Hornberger to Serene Ardelianu, um, Joe Jorgensen, obviously Sam Robb today, Mark Whitney next week, who has, yes, dropped out, um, but, you know, uh, Mark, um, Dan Taxation and Seth Berman uh, the week following, and a slew of other candidates in between, um, also candidates who ran for vice president uh, back in 2016 and are running again for vice president, uh, Larry Sharp, a couple episodes there with Larry. So if you guys want to go and get to know who these people are, all you gotta do, go to uh, the episodes... Um, file or file tab 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 there we go that's the word the episodes tab on the um the website on um, brianicholshow.com find all those episodes search a keyword look for the person i don't care whatever you gotta do go ahead and do that but folks um if you could do me a favor also if you enjoy the show um five star review over on itunes apple podcasts it, it means so much to me um, i read every single one of them and honestly everybody else who's looking to subscribe to the show reads them too um so if you guys could go out of your way and, and do that i would be so um, so appreciative and so thankful. Also, if you guys want to go ahead and uh, give me a shout on, on social media, tag me at B Nichols Liberty, both on uh, Facebook and on Twitter. Um, and also, folks, if you want to go ahead and send me over an email, brian at briannicholsshow.com. But I think I've talked enough this week. Guys, if you enjoyed the show, again, share with family and friends. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Sam Robb. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. It'll be even better this time, said my wife. Testing one, two, three.